Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic. What makes the best leaders so good? Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Our guest today is Daryl Stinson. This is a uh, real roller coaster of a journey this guy has had. What a phenomenal uh, storyteller and great messages. He had an incredible journey early in his career with football and a Division I school and a road, pretty clear road to the NFL. And uh, his life just uh, pretty much got turned upside down. So I will let him tell the story. You're going to get a lot out of this and you'll like it. Here you go. All right. Welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader related, related to leading yourself and leading other people. And somebody who is a master at leading himself and leading other people is our guest today. I'm super pumped to have Daryl Stinson. Uh, Daryl is a former Division I athlete, a spiritually directed business coach, and a fantastic inspiration for a lot of people, including myself, after I've heard his story. So I know you're going to like this. Daryl, thanks for joining, man. Man, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Um, and I want to thank everyone who's tuning in right now just for investing in yourself. Uh, one of the things that I didn't do early in life is invest in myself. I was so focused on my athletic career that I did not build my mind. I did not focus on self-care and podcasts and listening to podcasts is one way to continue to develop your mind and move forward. Um, and depending on what you listen to, it's also a form of self-care. So just want to applaud the audience for investing in themselves right now. I love it, man. I could not agree more. And, and podcasting is like, it's become this this medium that people can absorb so much. They multi. I talk to people all the time. They're like, "Yeah, hey, listen to podcasts while I'm working out, while I'm you know driving, when I'm doing all kinds of stuff." It's multitasking, and they're just taking in so much. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I hear you on that. Um, so, you've got such a great story. I would love, and there's so much stuff I want to ask you about and talk to you about. But why don't, why don't you just start by sharing with the audience a little bit about your background, your journey, mm-hmm. um, and and we'll we'll kind of dive into it that way. Yeah, so uh, this is going to be um, fun um, because I'm going to break uh, a marketing rule that I have. And and I always tell people as a marketing expert to focus on your niche, your one thing. And then I get on these podcasts and I just share eight things. <laughs> and so uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit, but there's, there's something that I feel like uh, people can take away from this journey. So let's start from childhood, okay? Um, I grew up in a town called Jackson, Michigan. Nobody knows where that's at. So the way that I describe it, I say, if you know where Detroit is, I was about an hour and a half west of Detroit. Mm -hmm. If you know who Tony Dungy is, he and I are the only famous people from there. (laughs) (laughs) Insert joke. He's famous. I'm not right. So uh, anyways, um, I grew up with the hopes and dreams of becoming a professional athlete because I wanted to get my family out of poverty. I wanted to be the superhero. Um, Sports also was a vehicle that enabled me to not have to be divided between a white audience and a black audience. Um, What I mean by that is when 
growing up, uh, I was a very smart kid. My mom put me into uh, accelerated learning classes, which meant that I was one of two black students in an all white class. And it, it was nothing wrong with that. Um, everyone loved me. <laughs> and I talk about this in my TEDx talk, Overcoming Rejection. Um, I was one of the popular kids. I was one of the smartest kids in the class. They cheated off my test. They laughed at my jokes. They called me goon because I was like big goony guy. Right. <laughs> and um, one day I was walking through the hallway and I saw a group of African-American students circled together. And um, I I heard them laughing and I wanted to go over there and get in on the jokes. So I go over to them and I say, man, what's so funny? Like I'm getting ready to crack jokes with them, you know, and they go, you're what's funny, white boy. And I said, white boy. And I didn't understand being a third grader, like what exactly that meant. And so I started to like ask questions and come to find out there was a rumor um, going around the school that I was known as the black kid that talks and acts white. And um, that was the first time that I felt the sting of rejection. Mm. Um, and, and here's what I've learned, okay, that, uh, and, I'm, and the way I'm going to tell a story, I'm going to do some mini content um, because, because I know that a lot of times things that we deal with as adults are a sign of issues that we had as children, mm. right? So in every counseling session that I've been in, uh, that's a new counselor, here's how it starts. Well, tell me about your childhood, right? And there's always some stuff, whether it's a father that wasn't there or a mother that did this or a friend that called you a name or uh, insecurity that you had that we carry with us, no matter how successful we are, um, that that, uh, impedes on our ability to bring our full self into our life and our business. And so I think it's helpful to think about when was your uh, most painful moment of rejection as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a father, as a, as a wife, because oftentimes if you have not processed that rejection, you're going to bring some of that brokenness into your leadership style. Right. Yeah. I, I like to say it this way, unprocessed pain usually becomes ill processed pain. What I mean by that is we typically have something that happened to us and it doesn't have to always be traumatic, right? It could just be a failure mistake that you had. You could, you could, you could have been an all A student and got your first B and somehow that feels rejection. Right. And when you have that and you don't process it and you just say, well, I I just want to pretend it didn't happen. I just want to avoid it. And you just move through life. The problem is that you, it becomes ill processed, meaning you start making conclusions about yourself or others that are just inaccurate. Right. So at that moment in the third grade, I made a conclusion about myself that was very inaccurate. And that was this, who I was, was not enough to be liked or loved by others. Mm. And that stayed with you for a long time. Was that, that, that actually, uh, you carry that with you through, through a lot of life? Oh yeah. It's what fueled my athletic success because, um, I wasn't good enough to fit in with the black crowd and, um, I wasn't good enough. I was too black for the whites and I was too white for the blacks Mm. and sports became the vehicle that enabled me not to have to choose between those races because Uh nobody cared if I listened to rap or if I pronounced my words correctly, or if I showed up to school on time, if I went to the black party or the bonfire, nobody cared which side I chose because all they cared about is how many points I scored. Yeah. Right. And so, so that just fueled it. So then sports became my identity. Like, this is the thing that's going to get my family out of poverty. This is the thing that's going to make everybody like me. Like, this is my God, so to speak. And so like, I threw myself at it. I worked hard at it, which is why I earned a division one scholarship to central Michigan university. Right. So let's fast forward there. I get to CMU. I'm this freshman. I I came into college, wanted to play basketball and football. I was ranked 
uh, number third in the state for basketball, um, just two spots behind Draymond Green. Wow. I was ranked number nine in the Midwest for football. So I come in as like this big eagle head guy. Like I'm just the best thing since sliced bread on campus. Um, and <clears throat> And you're and a big me, guy. Yeah. I mean, I know people can't say, what are you, 6'5", 2? I'm 6'5", yeah. Two, no, six, I wasn't big point. when I went it. Like, my freshman, I was like 6'5", 2, I don't know, like 17 or something. Like, I was yeah. just – because I ran track. And so okay. I was, like, super fast and yeah. agile. And then, you know, <laughs> Coach Lawson, who's my strength coach, uh, underneath Butch Jones, who's now at Alabama, whether you hate that or like that. But anyways, yeah. um, he they look at me and they're like, we're going to pack – 60 pounds on that frame Stinson. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. um, Yeah. So um, I had the, I had the big head, man. Like I thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. You couldn't tell me any different. It it wasn't a matter of if I was going to go to the NFL, it was just a matter of when. Is that right? Even just coming in as a, as a freshman into college, you knew at that point you had the skills and the talent to go to the NFL. Correct. Yeah. Cause what was, what was, in question was my ability to play in the NBA, right? So although I was ranked number third behind Draymond Green, 6'5 is really below average for height in the NBA, but in the NFL, it's remarkable. Yeah, you're And to be 6'5 and agile, I mean, I went to states and hurdles. Right. (laughs) So a 6'5 guy who can run and jump hurdles, whoa. Wow. You know, um, so you're not just big, fast, strong. You're – agile and and you're quick and you have long arms so like it's just like like just a prototype right and um and and also have the mental capacity right very smart intellectual can understand my playbook can read others well so yeah just had all of that excuse me potential so they're like yep we know we said you're playing basketball but uh we didn't realize you were going to be so ready to play now <laughs> as a freshman. And so uh, they, they put me in on pass rush packages so that on third downs, people can throw passes. Cause I just run past these big clunky linemen, you know? Yeah. And <clears throat> um, one day, and because again, this, this, this pain in my heart of being a kid who got rejected and believing that line, making that inaccurate conclusion that who I was, wasn't enough to be liked or loved by others came into my life as an athlete. And so here I am still talented, but still trying to prove myself to everybody. So one day we're in the the weight room and I had already had some back challenges, um, you know, a couple of bulging discs, but nothing too serious. And I wasn't supposed to be squatting, but I wanted to impress the upperclassmen with how much I could squat. Mm. So I put on a bunch of weight as a freshman on my back to show like all the other freshmen are lifting with freshman weight. I'm going to lift the senior weight, you know, like I'm ready, you know, and I did that and I did two reps and they, oh, everybody's shouting. And I did that third rep and I came up the wrong way. Oh, ruptured a disc in my back. Oh God. I'm just, I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. envisioning it. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, it hurt bad. Right. And here's the thing, right? So they helped me rack the bar, all this stuff. I'm in pain. But my pride is so big. My ego is so huge that I can't show weakness. All right. So I'm like, ah, they're like, you all right, man? You all right? Yo, they grab the bar. And I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. You know, like I'm I'm like holding my abs tight. Like I'm pretending it doesn't hurt. And here's here's the the even worse part. I went like two to three months with a ruptured pinch nerve. And I was still talented enough as an athlete. 
to surpass people in workouts. So coaches didn't really think that I was too bad. I mean, they knew I had had that um, issue in the in the weight room, yeah. but you know, ice it up and make sure you do uh, your your rehab exercise and you're good. So you didn't but, do anything after that squat rack. You you didn't. It's not like you went to the doctor or anything like that. You just kept playing. Kept playing. Wow. Because because I didn't know the difference between being hurt and being injured. Because I didn't want to show difference? people that that I was struggling, right? Mm-hmm. And then my pride was so big because, man, if they know that I'm hurt, I lose value. Yeah. Okay. So this is why a lot of people aren't honest in business. Re- if they know I'm not making as much money as a, that that they think I'm making, uh oh, I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I'll project numbers that aren't really true. I'll talk, I'll project my income as revenue, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that type of thing. Right. You know, there's, there's six people that came to my workshop, but I'll say it was 16. Like I had that type of ego issues. Yeah. And, and so, um, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. Let me get back on track. But, um, yeah, so I went two to three months with this injury and it, it was so bad that I couldn't even go to sleep without taking painkillers. Oh. That's how bad my pain was. Wow. And then one day I looked at my left leg which is where the pinched nerve was affecting the most. And I hit it and it's like jello. My right leg is like rock hard muscle. My left leg is like, like jelly. And I'm like, Oh no, what's going on? So I go finally go get an MRI. The results were so bad that a doctor, his name is Dr. Shell out of Saginaw, Michigan, who um, read my MRI. He was booked for three to six months in surgeries, had very few openings. He came in on his off day two days later to have my surgery because he said if he didn't do it that soon i was going to be paralyzed in my left leg wow yeah so i have the surgery and the coaches are like look man we still value you as a leader we want you to be vocal we want you to be present we'll we'll even travel you with us just to be that presence because we love your energy but uh you need to just focus on your education man we'll honor your scholarship you get a free education it was it was it was a win-win but sports was not what I did. It was who I was. Mm. And when your identity is tied to your activity, you'll make dumb decisions. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I did because my identity was tied up in what I did instead of who I was. And so um, I signed a liability. I begged the coaches to let me come back and play. I signed a liability waiver. And the best way to tell this story is that I was supposed to do 12 months of no physical contact. I was back starting within three months. Wow. Because I was taking opioid pills, pain steroid pills. I was getting epidural shots in my back illegally. I was getting nerve killings. I was doing all of this to numb my pain so I can continue to play the game. Oh my gosh. And it worked. (laughs) I earned a starting position. I played for two years. And if you watch my film, oh my, I was average at best. I mean, you can tell I'm hurt, right? Like I'm running hunched over. You can tell I wasn't the same freshman that was, you know, a star, you know, uh, you know, rock star body and all this stuff. Like you can tell like this dude is in pain, but he's also big and he's good, you know? Yeah. So I went two years like that. And then finally uh, my opioid addiction got so bad that every time I made contact on the field, my nose would bleed uh, because it was thinning my blood. So even if you go back and watch the game, the like CMU is uh, one of the uh, 
most famed games when we beat Michigan State, right? We had Antonio Brown, number one draft pick, Eric Fisher. We had uh, star quarterback, Dan LaFever. They had Kirk Cousins and a couple of other prominent players. So it was a really big game, and we beat them, right, on a winning field goal that one of the NFL kickers that was on our team made, right? So um, you go back and you watch film, and you see me. Um, I'm sorry, this is the following year after we beat them because we played them twice. So you go watch that film um, the year that we lost to them. And, and you see me, I'm, I mean, the first play of the game, I'm already getting hits on Kirk Cousins, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, what happened to this guy that was just like phenomenal? You know what happened? My nose started bleeding. So I had to put nose plugs in my nose and I was playing the entire game with nose plugs in my nose. Can you imagine wow. trying to run oh. at your fastest pace with nose plugs? Oh, but wow. that's how talented I was. And that's how committed and stupid <laughs> that I was. Did you know something was uh, wrong? I mean, when that's starting to happen, are you really now starting to get concerned? Like, okay, I got a, I got some issues or what? When your identity is tied to your activity, you make dumb decisions. Mm. Mm. So um, does, does a husband who works 90 hours a week know that that's not the best decision for his family? Mm. Yeah. But when your identity is tied to your activity, you make dumb decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we can go example after example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew it, but I was I was I was so committed and I was so um dedicated to that being my outcome that I just kept putting myself in harm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so finally the coaches um, saw that this was happening. And then at this point I started to develop a permanent hunch in my back from other contact and collision on the field and going into my senior year coaches said, man, we can't, we can't watch you do this. We know that we're technically not liable for your injury or death because you signed a waiver, but, but we care about you and we want you to be able to hold your children one day. Hmm. And so they kicked me off the team. I got pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Like I felt like they gave up on me. Now, obviously, in retrospect, I realized it was a really good decision on their part, but I was really upset because I felt like they just took my hopes, my dreams away. And I was still performing. I was like, oh, well, you weren't saying this when I was still starting for you last season. Like I was I, I was mad. Yeah. Um, and then I went into a deep, dark depression because at the same time when my career ended, uh, I had a girlfriend who I was dating for four and a half years and planned to marry. She left me and got engaged to another man. Oh, wow. No more NFL star. No more girlfriend. So um, girlfriend was gone. uh, Football was gone. And so I thought, once again, who I am is not good enough to be liked or loved by others. Uh, Girl obviously doesn't like me without sports. Nobody else probably will will relate to me without sports. Mm. And I hope that people hear that the identity was tied to what I did. Mm. Right. No one will love me if I'm not a seven figure entrepreneur. No one would love me if I'm not a great stay-at-home mom. No one would love me if I don't do this thing well. Mm. So what's the purpose of me being here is what I asked myself. And uh, that's where the suicidal thoughts came in. So I started mixing my opioid pills with alcohol. I would get in a car and hope that like a car accident uh, would end it all. Um, You know, so many days I was just, I was just using drugs to numb my pain. And to not have to deal with my failure and the rejection I felt from my my girlfriend. And um, it got so bad that I tried to starve myself and I went from 275 pounds to 219 pounds in four weeks. Wow. 
Um, all these attempts at suicide landed me in a psychiatric unit. And there's a backstory behind that. My mom had to jump on the hood of the car and like beg me to go. And she took me there. And it was in a psychiatric unit that my life changed forever. I'm laying on the psychiatric unit bed. I'm this shell of a six, five frame. I'm uh, screaming at the doctors to leave me alone because I just want to die. I don't want to be here. Just let me die. The doctor leaves. Uh, and within a period of 15 minutes, two people who didn't know each other, who didn't have jurisdiction to be back there in the part of the hospital that I was in, came to me and asked me what I say yes to my faith and my future. And in that moment, I made a decision that changed the rest of my life. I said yes to my faith and to my future. And the moment that I said, yes, that was my surrender to Jesus. That was my surrender to uh, the purpose that was for me beyond sports. And the moment I did that, I'm telling you, the depression that I was facing for so long, it immediately left. It felt so wow. good, my friend. I didn't know what else to do. I'm in a psychiatric unit screaming, yes, 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 God. Wow. The, the doctor comes in the room because he hears me yelling. He's like, what's going on? Here's what I advise people not to do. Don't don't tell them what I don't tell your doctor what I told mine. I said I was running from God. I just said yes to him, and they the doctor goes, send him upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's crazy, oh. and so that began this journey of building my life and my identity beyond <laughs> sports. Okay, um, and within a period of five years, here's what happened. I'll summarize this for you. Okay. I uh, bought a home, started a family. I launched a marketing consulting company. I became a pastor. I um, worked for Central Michigan University as a marketing professional where we rebranded the university and won uh, two higher education awards. And my life just started to radically move forward fast because I was no longer living my life um, with this big, huge ego, I was grounded in my identity and I, the results could, I could care less about. And, 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 and therefore I've experienced better results, <laughs> which is crazy. And it's so, ironic, uh, right? I've, yeah, 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 go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, it's ironic. I think people are thinking about, okay, well, how do you get results and, and make progress when that's not really what you're thinking about? You, yeah. you figured out who you were. It sounds yes. like, and what your identity really was, which wasn't what you were doing. Yeah. Um, but uh, you found your, you, you found your answer there. That's yeah. Like. Cause we always look externally for that, right? We want the bigger house, the bigger car, the bigger business, the bigger, whatever, whatever impresses people and makes us feel like we're important. Uh, social media following is huge for people right now. Like, especially digitally having to serve people. Well, like there's literally people who won't listen to others. If you ain't over 10,000 followers and it's like, it's so stupid. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the content. It has everything to do with the appearance. Right. And, and so um, we think that all of that validation and security comes externally when in reality it comes internally. Right. So if a person's trying to make that shift, my first piece of advice for them is to stop looking externally for validation and find it within. OK, if you study Tony Robbins, this is really what he teaches. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think one of his books is called like Release the Greatness Within or something. But that's Giant, the whole concept. Right. Within or something. Yeah. Yes. It's called something like that. I haven't actually read it. So don't 
think that I'm like recommending it. Like yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad book. I just haven't read it. So I can't yeah. speak to it authentically. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is that just that title it helps validate kind of what I'm trying to say is that, you know, look within. Okay. So what do you mean by that? All right. What are your values? Okay. Uh, let's say you have values of honesty, integrity, faithfulness. That becomes a sense of your identity. That is something that is within your control. That's not something that is fragile because you did not meet your sales goal. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example. And so it's a whole process. I, I work it into my my consulting practice and yeah. uh, as I coach entrepreneurs on how to really be um, um, happy within and grounded within first and that then produces more external success. Yeah. And it all comes from this higher understanding of purpose and then this deep understanding of self. Yeah. So let's talk about purpose. I mean, that I get that question a lot of people saying, yeah. hey, you know, y- yeah. you found your pur- purpose or you yourself are going <laughs> to listen to this. But there's so many people out there that just don't know or they don't understand yeah. what their purpose is. What's your advice to them? How do they find it? Oh, God. My advice is I have a course by that. It's only 97 bucks. That's so probably going to raise um, to 2000 when we actually film it in a professional studio. I filmed it in front of webcam because I, so many people were asking me to because um, I was coaching people and I could only scale one-on-one coaching so much. I was like, all right, put the course together. That's what everyone wants to know. What's my purpose? What was my purpose? Mm-hmm. Let me preface it with saying this. Okay. Um, when I started to rebuild my life after sports, I got to this place where I wouldn't trade my current life for my former life as an athlete. So if somebody would have came to me and been like, here's a multi-million dollar contract. I'd be like, no, I'm good. Right. The money would be tempting, yeah. <laughs> but because I was in my purpose, money could not take me out of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I noticed that that was different than a lot of my former athlete peers. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of my former athlete peers had found career or a passion, but they didn't have purpose. They didn't find purpose. Mm-hmm. So they could easily be influenced with money. Bigger, bigger paycheck, I'll switch jobs, right? Because they weren't operating from a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. So the distinction I want to make for people, number one, is that when we talk about purpose, we're not talking about passion. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the challenges that some people face when they try to discover their purpose they say well what are you passionate about Mm. what are you gifted at right and that's just surface level that is the tip of the iceberg what i specialize in and help people through is how to get to the bottom of the iceberg what's underneath your passion what is the why that drives your what and typically here's what happens when i coach people through this process (laughs) that you Get the surface level answer. Well, my why is that I want a better family. Well, my why is I want to leave a legacy. Well, my well, duh. Like, who doesn't want to be a good person? <laughs> like, that yeah. should be everybody's why to do good for others, right? right. But what is specifically you? Because here is my core belief. I believe that we were created on purpose for a purpose. I believe that we are individually unique. I believe that your purpose, my purpose, should be as unique as our fingerprints. Mm-hmm. And so I don't believe in, in generic purpose statements. My purpose is to help other people discover their purpose. Sweet. There's a billion other people who can say the same thing. But what's the one thing that somebody can say about you? Mm-hmm. And we understand this somewhat in business. And that's why the, the uh, uh, proposition statements, uh, you know, that I help this person do this and have this transformation, like that whole model is so popular right now mm-hmm. because people are saying like, you look, you're in business, what's your niche? And I'm saying you're in life, you are a niche. Mm-hmm. And it's your purpose. So yeah. how do I get below the iceberg? 
Okay. Let me give you a few questions that you can ask yourself as you're listening to this and you want to know, how do I go deeper beyond my passion? Okay. Ask yourself what in life bothers you the most? What in life bothers you most? And and this is something uh, that, I, that I told you why I got to introduce you to, to my mentor, because uh, he's, he, he helped me with some of these questions, right? Because oftentimes what bothers you is an indicator that you're called to fix it. Right. So I walk around and I see bad marketing copy <laughs> and it bothers me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a layer that I start to throw in this tank of processing to figure out what my purpose is. OK, mm-hmm. um, here's another question. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? OK, that's a popular one. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically fear of failure is one of the one of the biggest things keeping people from walking in purpose. Mm-hmm. Okay. They won't watch out because they're so afraid that it won't work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what would you do if you knew that your family would unconditionally support you? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people, and, and when I, when I was working in, uh, at CMU, I can't tell you the number of college students that came through and they, they choose a career because mom and dad wanted it. Not because it's something that they actually felt passionate about, not because it was something that like, gave them butterflies when they woke up in the morning, but simply because they were trying to make mom, dad proud. And they can't see beyond that because they look up so much to mom and dad, mm-hmm. but it has nothing to do with their individual purpose. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with their uniqueness. It has everything to do with the affirmation of their mom or their dad, which is important, mm-hmm. but not when it comes to sacrificing your unique identity to conform to your parents' dreams. Right. <laughs> right. By the way, I struggle with that. So I can speak to that because my dad was a star athlete. Right. Some people say he's a lot better than me. I disagree. <laughs> we'll never know. Um, but he was. He was really talented. He was six two. He was a powerhouse. I mean, you watch any of his film, you can see like, yeah, this dude's gift. I mean, he high jumped like almost seven feet something. Like, I don't even know. He was like, I could now I couldn't high jump that high, but he could. So he won a bunch of dunk contests and he got hurt in college. Because he was playing intramural basketball instead of he, he got he was scholarship for football at the same school actually Central Michigan I went to, and he was playing intramural basketball and he got hurt. So my dad um, was pushed me so hard in sports because he wanted to live through me. Right, right. And so like so why why do I want to do sports so bad? Make dad proud, mm. right? And then obviously all the other stuff I shared on here. So we have to get past that to get below. Um, to the bottom of our iceberg and say, man, I got to get other people's opinions and pressures and standards out of my psyche so that I can get alone with self and understand me, my purpose. Mm-hmm. What am I really? So here's another question. <clears throat> what am I trying to make happen for others? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, now, now this is important. Okay. Because um, it's not for me, marketing, let's say marketing. A lot of people do marketing. Uh, I'm not just marketing to help people grow their business. I'm marketing because part of my purpose is to help people tap into the abundant life. Okay. Um, Specifically misfits. And I've got a whole purpose statement that's unique to me, but it's different because it's marketing is a tool Mm -hmm. that leads to a result. Mm -hmm. It's not a result in of itself. Mm -hmm. Here's why that's different. Let me tell you a story. Hold on a second. Mm-hmm. I think this will be helpful. Okay. Now we're doing deep work on a podcast. Okay? So if you're listening to this in your car. Like you got to like pause, come back to this later and be in Zen mode. Right. Cause we're getting ready to go. deep. Let me give you an example. Cause this helps people. Stories always help. 
I'm talking to an actress. Okay. She schedules a purpose discovery session with me. Right. And she, she knows that she loves acting. She doesn't know why she loves acting. I, I, I walked her through my purpose discovery guide, got a whole questionnaire, whole process, all this stuff. Right. But when we got to the question, what are you trying to make happen for others? That's where she started to tear up because she realized that, well, I'm really trying to bring joy to other people's life. Well, why are you trying to bring joy to other people's life? They say, if you ask yourself why five times as you go through these questions that you'll hit your purpose. Okay, so I, why, why, why do you want to bring joy to other people? Well, because I went through this in my life. Well, why, why do you care so much? Well, because of this. Because, and we got to this place that she was like, oh, this is what I'm trying to make happen for other people. It's not even about acting. It's about this purpose. So guess what? And this is what I said to her on the call, and it was so powerful. I recorded this. I should release it as a content clip because it was such a powerful moment. I said this to her on the call. And we had, oh man, this is, I'm, I'm struggling right now because I can feel the emotions of the moment. It was so powerful. Yeah. I said, you know what's going to set you apart as an actress? I said, now the next audition you go to, there's going to be one person who's operating in a passion for acting. And there's only going to be one that's operating from a purpose. So when you show up and you do your, your read your screenplay, when you do whatever, when you audition, now you realize that I'm not just playing a role, I'm fulfilling a purpose. Mm. That's the difference. Yeah. Does, we have to ask ourselves, are we fulfilling a role or are we fulfilling our purpose? So when somebody figures that out and has that purpose, is it is it that it gives them a clear sense of direction? Is it that it gives them more confidence, less fear, like, or all of that? What does it do for somebody? I personally think it makes them dramatically more impactful because our purpose is always connected to other people, Mm -hmm. right? And when we're only on the surface level of an understanding, and I don't mean that condescendingly, right? Because obviously I was there, but when we're only at the surface level, we only fulfill that much. It's almost like if you know you got a hundred yards to run, you're only gonna run a hundred yards. Mm-hmm. But if you know you got a thousand yards to run and you're at a hundred, you're gonna be like, man, there's so much more I could do. Yeah. That's what the purpose does. So I think a, a person becomes dramatically more impactful. Take the example of the actress, right? Now that she knows that uh that acting is not her purpose, it's actually her passion, she can do a lot of other things to fulfill her purpose. Because what you do might change, but why you do it typically doesn't. Mm, that's a great point. Yeah. I like that. You see what I'm saying? Yep, and yep. so so that's where it really changes. So yeah, do you get less fear, more confidence, more energy, all that stuff? Yes, all that happens. But to me, the, the best thing that happens is you become dramatically more impactful. Yeah. And versatile. Nobody can put your purpose in a box. Right. You can't put your purpose. I can't. He read my, my statement. I'm a spiritually directed business coach. You know how many times I've switched that? <laughs> because it's like, you can't box me. Mm-hmm. I can business coach. I speak a podcast. Like I do all this stuff, but it's all fulfilling a higher, greater purpose. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important. Yeah. Great I think, question. You know, and the other thing too, is I think you know, so many people suffer from the problem of worrying so much about what other people think and they almost <laughs> live their life. I mean, I, and this is countless, countless numbers of people that I talk to. They live their life in a way where they're just trying to either please people, impress people, yeah. make others happy. And it becomes so externally focused. And then you really yeah. do lose sight of who you are. And it yeah. sounds like, as I'm thinking and listening to you and going through this, that that sense of purpose, it really kind of puts that in perspective. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, as the actress, she probably goes into those auditions 
less thinking how are they going to react to me versus more about let me do what I'm doing because of the reason that I'm doing it. And here, yeah. you know, it's almost because like when you're not operating in purpose, you're taking, you're not giving. And we're all our generous people at heart. Everybody wants to be generous. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you have so much insecurity and brokenness and so much need for affirmation from others, you can't fully give. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to understand how, how much of that comes from within. So, yeah. so it's so powerful. Here's what I mean by that. Right. An actress or anyone, let's use an actress example. If she's up there just trying to get applauses, standing ovations, she's trying to take. Mm-hmm. But if she's up there fulfilling a purpose, she's giving. Yeah. Well, you I, see I, the think, difference? Yeah, absolutely. And think about this too. Like you, you think about social media, how many people are obsessed with and they judge themselves based on how many likes they get or how many comments they get or how many times yeah. it's shared. And yeah. or how many followers they have, and and that changes yeah. the perspective totally. It's like when you yeah. know your purpose, it's not about you don't need to be validated by yeah. the number of you know likes. Yeah, you, you and, and, and so like there. admittedly, I check my likes, right? like I do, yeah, and so it's not about the activity of doing it; it's about why you do it. Yeah, right. Like I, I'm like I, I, I played sports, so I, I got used, I built a habit of watching film. So I, I like to see if it, stuff is working. I want to see if did anybody comment when I asked them to like, and if like, but my identity isn't attached to that. My worth isn't attached to that. So right. if three people liked it, I'm not like, you suck. I'm just like, how can I make this better? Right. 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 Because I'm there too. And I tell people this all the time, because there's a lot of that on the internet yeah. and everybody wants you to comment because it messes with the algorithm, gets you more visibility. Yeah. But I really am serious. I want people to comment. I really want to know. I will sit there and read them things and respond. My wife says I have a problem. I do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that level of authenticity is what's missing from the social media world. We're trying to use it as a strategy instead of, 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 of a lifestyle, instead of this is who I am. Right. Like, and I'm not saying like you got a big platform. You can't respond to 25,000 comments, but can you respond to 15? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And if you don't, we're talking about an issue of the heart, not an activity. Because what I don't want people to do is go, well, well I'm just, I, I don't even, I'm not, I'm just going to put something out there and not check the results of it. I'm not, so we're not saying do that. Yeah. I'm just saying examine the why. Yeah. So uh, super valuable stuff. I want to, I want to talk about your book because you've got a book coming out, I know, in a month, October 20th. Um, oh, yeah. So depending on when somebody's listening to this, it might already be out. But, um, and yeah. I know I'm excited to read it. Um, and it's called, um, and just make, make sure I'm getting this right, and, uh, what, Who Am I After Sports? An Athlete's Roadmap to Discover New Purpose and Live Fulfilled. Is that right? That's right. All right. That's so correct. T- tell us a little bit about the book and more importantly, why, why you wrote it. Yeah. So I wrote it to be helpful. <laughs> um, I, I, I wrote it because I noticed um, going back to that, I was having a different experience as a former athlete than many other former athletes was having. I was actually living my best days as if they were in front of me, not behind me. So all my buddies and was talking about, man, you know, and, and even when they relate to me, man, you remember you played against Draymond Green, man, you remember, man, they're talking about the past and it's not the activity of it. It's the spirit that drives it. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that, man, the best days of your life is when you were an athlete, when you were winning championships. I'm like, no, dude, I've got so much purpose ahead of me. Yeah. And people, the, a lot of former athletes and people in general wasn't living that way. It was always like they peaked. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, man, what's different about like, how did I get here and what did I do differently? And so I just examined that process and I was like, well, OK, um, well, I went through this period of acceptance. Um, I had to actually believe that there was a 
brighter future. I had to discover my purpose and do this deep work. I studied, watched TEDx talks, I bought courses, I did all this stuff. Man, I had to actually go do something and, and become uh, great at it. And then I had to persist when things got tough. And I had to, I had to accept, mm-hmm. believe, discover, pursue, persist. I went through a process. I said, man, I didn't realize this. So then I packaged that in this book. And that is what the content of the book is. It's this process of transition that we go through to grieve our past and to move forward powerfully into our future. Now, I know obviously it's it's going to really uh, hit home for athletes, but what about people, what other types of audiences would that help? <laughs> yeah, so I, I can tell you what people have told me. I cannot say it from a result standpoint. So in other words, this process has proven to help an athlete in transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been told um that it can help anyone in transition which makes sense a lot of the principles are are um transferable mm-hmm. right so um people and I, the only reason i'm hesitating because i was like i don't know how much i'm legally a, 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 can say some of this but who cares like mm-hmm. um just uh hopefully this doesn't like mess up our future success as a company um so sorry team if you listen to this <laughs> if this causes us to go in bankruptcy because i let the <laughs> egg out of the basket <laughs> like anyways um so I've been told that we should have a second chance athletes, a second chance entrepreneur, a second chance veteran, second chance marriage, um, second chance CEO. And uh, this got validated multiple times um, because there's a couple of athletes who were former veterans as well. I was like, man, this is helpful on both ends of the spectrum, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then I was um, at a fellowship of Christian athletes fundraiser and I was the keynote speaker and I'm sharing my story and doing my thing. And I talk about uh, our process with second chance athletes and a retired Chick-fil-A executive who worked at Chick-fil-A for 40 years, wait, 40, 20 years, sorry, 20 years comes up to me and was like, yo, can we have lunch? Cause I need that. Mm-hmm. And so we started to have these lunch and these conversations and, and things like that. So um, yeah, I don't have enough proof of concept to really speak authentically to that, but I can say that I've been told that it, it's the principles are transferable and I can see how, but I just yeah. scientifically can't prove it yet. Yeah. <laughs> so let, let me ask you a, a question. I know there's a lot of people that are at a point in life right now where they feel like maybe they're, they peaked in the past, their best <laughs> years were behind them. What do you say to somebody like that when, especially, I mean, uh, some of the people that I know that are feeling like that are, are young. They got years and years and years ahead of them. It's not somebody who's necessarily 70 but, uh, or 80. It's all ages. What do you say to somebody like that to start them thinking a little bit differently? Are you ready? Your best days are not behind you. They're in front of you. If I use scripture, I say, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If I quote Will Smith, (laughs) whatever you think about is what you bring about. So your thoughts create your reality. If your past is the best days and you peak, that's all it'll ever be. But if you choose to believe something different, Mm. you put yourself in position to experience something different. Mm. And in our, in phase two of our belief standpoint, that's why it's a whole phase because it, it's there's practical steps you can take as abstract as it sounds to bring your belief level up to up to that point. Right. You got to process why you're thinking the way you're thinking about your past and why you're thinking the way you're thinking about your future and find the errors in that thinking 
so that you can properly have that belief and authentically have that belief. So this is not about just like saying it over and over and over again, hoping that it's true. This is about actually processing your thoughts and your experiences and validating that it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was really good. That's the first time I explained it that way. I need to write that down. <laughs> I like it. Well, we got it recorded now. <laughs> so get a transcript of the show to you. Look at that. We just made a, we wrote a chapter in your next book. I <laughs> uh, know, man. It's just, it's, the, the hardest thing about writing a book is that the moment that I sent it to publishing, I wanted to scrap it and write a whole new book <laughs> because I was lie? learning so much. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, man, there's so much more I would say differently, but I couldn't keep like it took me three years to write this book, not because it's super sweet or or deep or mm-hmm. anything, but because I kept rewriting the thing. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know what? I have to stop. Yeah, I have to stop. I listen to too many podcasts. Too, I read too many books. Yeah. I have too many coaches in my life that my, my growth process is, is so fast that by the time I transcribe this thing into a book, I'm on to another level of understanding. Yeah. So I've got to just stop thinking about sounding like like an expert and, and the, having the latest things to say in this book. And I just got to get it out there because it's a helpful resource. Yeah. So I had to make it not about Daryl's ego and about the people that it could serve. And so that was the hardest thing about writing that book, man. I know you didn't ask that, but like, yeah, something well, that I've been thinking about lately. Because it's I mean, like the, now that I have the print date, it's like, yeah. dang it. <laughs> like, like uh, insecurity. Like well, man, people are going to read this and be like, well, actually, Daryl, this yeah. is not how this works. I'm like, well, I know that now. Yeah. Well, there's a little fear with it. You know, you're putting something out that's out there now permanently. And, um, and to your point, I feel the same way. It's like, I, sometimes I think I spend so much time on something because I got a perfectionist side of me and it's like, yeah, Yeah. the, the time lost because of all the rethinking and redoing and rewriting and everything like that versus to your point, getting it out there, you got a great message. And I know, you know, there's a lot of would be or want to be authors out there. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people that I'm sure you talk to and I talk to and they're listening to the show that that have an idea for a book or want to do something and they just they're feeling the same way you you know you are yeah. or were. Um yeah. so I'll give you a lot of credit for getting it out. And that's awesome Thanks, that man. you're now almost Thanks, at the finish line with that and then the starting line of your second yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. So. Let me let me say something to authors. Like get your book out there yesterday. Mm-hmm. Right. Most most I've never met an, an author that only has a single book inside of them. Yeah. Most authors have multiple books that they can write because they're typically tremendously humble and they're students, right? And so um, let me just say something to you um, because here's how I overcame that is I recognized where it was coming from. It was coming from this authentic place of humility of like, well, you know, this is not the best thing since sliced bread. There's other concepts that learn from. And then came from me being a student and, and always being in learning mode. And so I had to make the shift of being like, because when you are a student and you and you study and observe and you read lots of leadership material, whatever your industry is, you read a lot of material around that, it becomes how does this fit in with that versus who can this help? Mm. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And, and and when I made that shift of like, man, I'm not trying to like compare this to all the people who've done doctoral research and athlete transition and, and our sports psychologists. Like I'm not trying to like insert in this as an authority piece there. Mm. I'm actually trying to just help the people who need the product. Mm. And that to me was like, okay. I can part ways with my yeah. baby. You know? yeah. So you that's go. why I just set the date and I put it out there. Well, and you also don't know, you know, timing is everything. You know, you went mm-hmm. through some unbelievably challenging and really as dark as you can get. Um, you don't know that your message may need to be heard by somebody now. And yeah. you don't want to get it out there too late. You, you want to get it out there yeah. so more people can. And, yeah. you know, you just don't don't know. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Just make it a journey and not a destination. Yeah. That's yeah. my mindset right now. Yep, exactly. So. Well, listen, man, this has been unbelievable. I, I got so much more I want to ask you about, and I know we're just <laughs> on time here. Um, I talk too much. I know. No. I could see it in my face. Fascinating story. <laughs> and um, wow, what a what an incredible journey. And I love the fact you're, you're really, you're just beginning. I mean, you've got so much out of you. So, um, you know, we'll bring you back another time and uh, hear how things yeah. are going uh, down the road. Yeah, if people that. want to get your book, how do they get it? How do they get it? Yeah, so you go to secondchanceathletes.com. It'll be there. It'll be on my own website as well, joestinson.com. And so that'll be the best place to get connected to me, our movement. Just go to those websites. If something I said really deeply resonated with you and you're like, man, I want his help, shoot me an email, Daryl, D-A-R-R-Y-L-L, at secondchanceathletes.com. And let's just connect and see if, it, see if there's any way I can be of service. Awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes too for everybody. Um, great stuff, man. Daryl, I really appreciate you being here. Any, any final words of uh, wisdom or encouragement or anything you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, I, I do want to thank you again, the same way I started this podcast for investing in yourself. And, you know, every time I talk about mental health challenges, I, I talk from a place of healing and not a place of woundedness, but I've recognized that many people, when that comes up, they're still in that wounded place. And if you're there, I just want to, like you're struggling with depression, anxiety, those types of things, suicidal thoughts. I want you to know that I've been there. I can relate. This is a process that takes time. Um, but the, the key to your victory isn't understanding everything. It's actually just calling for help because depression grows in darkness, but it multiplies in silence. Please don't be silent. Reach out, talk to somebody. And, um, and, and here's what you'll discover that you're not the only one. Awesome, man. Words of wisdom. Uh, Daryl Stinson, former Division One athlete, spiritually directed business coach, uh, pastor, family man, entrepreneur, and now author of the book, Who Am I After Sports? An Athlete's Roadmap to Discover New Purpose and Live Fulfilled, coming out in a month on October 20th. So, Daryl, thanks again for joining us. It's been terrific. Man, thank you for having me. Appreciate you. You got it. And thanks, everybody, for joining. As always, keep subscribing, liking, commenting, sharing, all that kind of good stuff. I very much appreciate your feedback and your ideas for future guests as well as topics. Uh, keep them coming. Also, keep in mind, on Tuesday, September 22nd, I have a leadership uh, mastermind, our first one for tomorrow's leader that's going to run from 5 to 6 p.m. I know many of you have uh, emailed me for invites to that continue to do that. We'll have our first one next Tuesday. Looking forward to it. Once again, thanks for joining. Daryl, thanks again, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thanks. Lead on.